This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 8. My name is Timothy. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulin in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? On the con, as it were. All right. Well, we have some fact check. Um, Ariana Grande appeared in appears in reruns of Sam and Cat on YTV. We were trying, I was trying to figure out what show she was on, and that was the one. And last week I was talking about the prequel to the Foundation. It wasn't called a prequel, as I said last week. It was actually Prelude to the Foundation. And there was a second Prelude to the Foundation called Forward the Foundation. And then, of course, the the Foundation books are Foundation, Foundation and Empire, and Second Foundation. And then after that, they he wrote after the first two prequels, like George Lucas, he wrote Foundations Edge, and then he wrote Foundations and Earth. And that Foundations and Earth is the one where he brings the robot. Um, novels together with Foundation and caps off a big, you know, 60-year writing career, right? With a big giant arc. No one can compete with. This is Isaac Asimov I'm talking about, of course. And that's it for the fact check, and we'll move on to the headlines, and Jaime, you're up first. Yeah, we've got the um, the nice trailer for the Secret Invasion series. Mm-hmm. A six-episode crossover event, according to this link. From uh, Marvel Studios coming out Disney Plus. It's got Nick Fury. It's got scrolls. It's got uh, plot threads that are definitely going to lead into uh, future phases. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Got everything for the the family. Yeah, it, it does this seem kind of it does seem kind of dark though. It seems uh, I don't know if it's family friendly fair. It seems kind of kind of grim. Got to teach them young, <laughs> not to trust people, <laughs> and to come up with good ways to figure out if the other person is truly who they say they are because. Uh, that was always a good thing, you know, people trying to steal identities and fraud. But in this future world where the kiddos are growing up into, you know, AI that can replicate images and voices and the way people communicate is going to be, uh, you know, everybody's going to have to figure out how to get rid of changelings, right? That's kind of where everything's going. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Rebob. Sorry, the part of that is that they also announced the the release date too, right? They have a, a formal is a J- June twenty something. I think it was the twenty first. I think I saw it in the article June twenty first on Disney Plus. There you go. Yeah, and it looks pretty like a, the I think the invasion people that you were talking about, Jonathan, is sort of aliens. I guess they, they look vampirish. Yeah, I mean they're um, the scrolls, and- right? They're the ones that we saw at in Captain Marvel, and then uh, we've seen them pop up at the end of uh, spoiler, 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 spoilers. At the end of Spider-Man: uh, Far From Home, as well, we found out mm-hmm. that uh, that they they have been hiding among us already because they were they were imitating uh, Nick Fury and Maria Hill in that. Oh, were they? Ooh. So the the characters we saw that we thought were Nick Fury and Maria Hill in that whole movie were actually Skrulls in disguise. So that's supposed to be the tip off that things are bad. Oh, in the Spider-Man. In the Spider-Man: <laughs> Far From Home, yeah. Oh, really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, like you said last week, all bets are off. Well, it's it's a fun twist, right? Because it is just like the changelings we're we're dealing with right now in Star Trek. It it kind of opens up the possibilities to anything. So yeah, that's true. All right, what you got next, Tommy? Next is something we've talked about before: the the Blue Beetle movie coming from the folks at DC. So it has an official trailer that's dropped. It has a release date for the theaters 
August 18th. Uh, folks should know it's one of those, uh, at least in the comic books, this iteration of Blue Beetle is, is eerily close to somebody that you may know on this very show, whose name is Jaime from <laughs> El Paso in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, Hispanic. Did you get bitten by a spider too? <laughs> Radioactive beetle? Right, right. I think in this trailer, from what I saw, though, uh, my hometown isn't getting in there. It looks like they're following the same scheme of using uh, stand-ins for cities like Metropolis and Gotham. Uh, it looks like Palmera City or Palmera City is... Uh, I don't know if it's meant to be El Paso or kind of felt more like a like a Miami sort of vibe to me. Mm. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, something I can understand is kind of more, you know, in tune with what they tend to do for those. Um, just like we have, uh, you know, enjoyed Black Panther and what that did for the African community. Um, I have proposed the idea that like Shang-Chi, I wanted to support it at the time that it came out because it was like Jade Panther. I don't know if to call this one Brown Panther. <laughs> Mex Panther. I couldn't come up with something good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it, or, it is or, a bit like or for the rest yeah, of us we can call him blue panther because that way we won't get in trouble how about that Jaime? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is it is a bit like uh shazam and uh and spider-man too because you know the, the, obviously i mean not much spoilers for the trailer but you know he's obviously gets a little bit more than bitten by this blue beetle but you know and then he's sort of you know like a young teen transformed this kind of an interesting, interesting sort of, and it's a, I guess a bit of Iron Man too, because it's got that sort of Jarvis mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, it's somewhere between Iron feel. Man and Green Lantern, right? So the it's sort of a suit of armor, but it can do it can create a lot of other things like Green Lantern. So yeah, it's kind of a, a blending of of classic uh, superhero tales. But but the as Jaime points out, the the twist on this one is that we, uh, yeah, we get a, a Latinx main character, which is. Stupidly overdue. Um, I, mm-hmm. I saw uh, one of the quotes that came out when it uh, when the trailer dropped the other day. I think it was um, oh god, who plays the dad? It's George Lopez, right? Said, yeah, George uh, Lopez and Eva Longoria are in there. Yeah, I think he said uh, this movie is unapologi- unapologetically Latino, and I was like, that's nice. I like I like that phrase. That's good. So yeah, no, I think it's it's good, and it actually looks like fun. You know, like I think that's the thing that that I think most people are critical about the DC movies is there, you know, for the whole Snyder run, they were just so grim. This yeah. just like Shazam, it, it just looks like, you know, yeah. Back to basics, you know, fun coming of age. How do you figure out to be a hero? Are you still trying to figure out how to be a, a an adult, you know, a young adult? It, it just looks fun. What, what, what universe is Shazam from? Is that Marvel or is it? No, that's DC as well. DC? Yeah. Oh, it's DC. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that was a kind of a fun movie. I haven't seen the second one yet, but. I mean, are you throwing your dollars down on this one just to support the the Latinx uh, community? Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, it was a little bit different in um, Shang-Chi came out that it was like, oh, you know, I might just throw in some money even if I don't feel comfortable going out into the pandemic world. Uh, And they Mm. didn't need my dollars, (laughs) as I mentioned. They absolutely did not need my dollars, which is good, right? But I was wanting to to throw some, some money in there to let the the studio execs that care about the money see that people support it. So uh, I'll be yeah. doing the same for Blue Beetle. I'll be trying to be there, you know, um, right around opening day. Maybe choose a, a, you know, a showing during the middle of the day or something, you know, depending how I feel. But yeah, definitely going to end up supporting this one. Hoping that other people will too. 
Yeah. No, like it's uh, as we say, it's it's, it's insane that this is uh, the sort of first major lead character uh, in a movie like this. It's uh, yeah, long overdue. So good to see. But more importantly, it looks like a good movie, right? Like it looks it just looks like yeah, looks like it's gonna be a fun watch. Yeah, the last time we had something like this was Zorro going way back when, right? So, and I'm not talking about the Banderas one. I'm talking about the one before that. <laughs> that was a while ago. Yeah, and, and I don't think he was Latino either. <laughs> no, although some of the characters, some of the actors were, but yeah, not not enough. And one more from you, Jaime. Yeah, um, something that is absolutely going to make a billion dollars pretty easy because uh, they've they've established a pattern. Is Disney's live action remakes are going forward and the next one is moana they've got the announcement here starring dwayne johnson um as pointed out this one is not quite as old as some of the other remakes which at least had you know uh, a couple decades in in most cases this one is from 2016 so uh they're they're just eventually going to run out of ground here (laughs) to remake the (laughs) animated films into live action but you know um when it comes to Dwayne Johnson reprising his role as Maui, like Maui was essentially designed to be the rock, right? It was oh, yeah. a, a caricature of the mm-hmm. rock and, and, you know, took his, his, you know, look and mannerisms and, and passion for life. So um, I will definitely watch this uh, just cause I, I enjoyed um, that movie a lot. I don't know that I will go to the theaters to do it. I don't know that it'll be a watch on day one Disney plus, but I'll, I'll definitely see this one. Yeah, this this feels like a Disney Plus watch. Yeah, I haven't seen Moana, although it is a huge theme in our house with a seven-year-old granddaughter, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Especially having gone to Hawaii when she was little, so... Like the whole the whole bed the whole bedroom theme is Moana. Interesting. But um, I, it's, you're right, though. It's, it's, an, it's an interesting thing, because they did Beauty and the Beast first, I think, and then they did um, the Mulan... So the, they've the, done a bunch the, of them now, right? They've, yeah. they've done all kinds of them. And they're doing the Little Mermaids coming out, right? So, yep. yeah. yeah. Pinocchio, Dumbo, I mean, like, The Lion King, yep. um, oh, Aladdin. Really? Okay. Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's what yeah. I was sort of thinking. Like, they're going to like they're gonna have to go back and do, like, the rescuers and the rescuers down under. There's, like... <laughs> and the Aristocats. The Aristocats like a limit. Yeah, Aristocats. They, they are doing Aristocats. <laughs> they're doing Aristocats. A live-action Aristocats. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, Questlove. I think Questlove's going to direct it. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, you know you're right. They're they're going through the catalog. I can't wait till they try and figure out how to do uh, the uh, anthropomorphized foxes in the Robin Hood movie. That's going to be a really cool one. Right. Well, they already did it that one though, but yeah, in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah. Are we gonna have they done um um what was it, the one about the two dogs um Lady and the Tramp yet? I think they did. They did. did. It they? was a Disney Plus release. I don't think it came no, out in theaters. But like do- actual dogs? Or, yeah. Or... yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're CGI, but yeah. Oh, they're CGI. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it, okay. it's, I guess, technically not live action. Like like the Lion King technically wasn't live action, but the mm. the feeling is it was the CGI rendered to appear as if they were actual live action. Well, is the characters. Lion King sort of like the Broadway version done in no. film? No, no, no. They did it, again, more CGI, more real animals. Oh, but, oh, actual animals. Yeah, yeah. No, like, it wasn't, it wasn't like little... humans interpreting animals. It was, it was animals. Oh, okay, okay. Like the old Disney stuff back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, was it the animals walking around Sunday afternoons while, while, while we're with Disney? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. 
speaking of remakes, yeah. uh, so the good speaking folks, of remakes, they never said they said they'd never make. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know if they say they'd never make them again. <laughs> they, the money train's got to keep coming. So Warner Brothers Discovery is is uh, apparently talking about doing a TV series based on the Harry Potter books. Uh, this is a story from Entertainment Weekly this week. Uh, they said that. Uh, they envision it as every season of the show is one of the books from oh, really? the original okay. Harry hmm. Potter series. This is, uh, so I have some conflicted feelings about this one. I do, I, ha- I enjoyed the Harry Potter books. I enjoy the Harry Potter uh, uh, games Interpretations, and, yeah. and movies and, and other things. However, this, uh, like so many other people, this whole J.K. Rowling uh, and her mm-hmm. uh, intractable uh, stance against trans people is offensive to me, and it's offensive to a lot of people I know. And so I don't wish her well anymore. I am disappointed that she will continue to uh, die on that hill. And and now, frankly, I hope she does die on that hill. Um, so as much as I'm like supportive uh, of good quality material and she's inarguably created a a really fascinating and deep world here i don't feel excited about this like i would have if this had been a couple years ago i'm uh, and i wonder if this is just gonna i wonder where the balancing point on this is between people who just love this world and people who are just done with her is this gonna blow up in warner brothers discovery's face I, i don't know I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they're still selling tickets to the theme park and people are still watching the movies. I just have a tough time now, like reconciling it. I mean, it's like we talk about it all the time, the art and the artist. I just, I have a tough time reconciling this one and I'm not as excited as I would have been because the idea of doing these, these books as TV shows, if they do, you know, 10 episode seasons and you get 10 hours to do a Harry Potter story as opposed to two hours is really compelling, but also I'm not compelled. But it's ironic too that you think, if you think about it, like the the over overarching theme of of Harry Potter is about you know a kid who's different than everybody else, kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and trying to find his pl- his place in the world, and finding out that there's more to him than what he he imagines or has been told. I mean, so that's so ironic that she would take that stance. Yeah. Um, is it ironic or hypocritical? I can't well, remember which, which word yeah, is the right no, one. No, is hypocrisy is what it is. Yeah. So it's kind of because you know you know like you know they talk about so there's other other um, like mutants like the the X Men that sort of is is also a parallel to people who have who feel different and act different and have different you know sensibilities yeah. than the the run of the mill right that that can be seen as a as a, a metaphor for you know the LGBTQ community as well right Yep. Um, or an allegory, I guess. What is it now? Yeah, I don't know. But you know what I mean. Like, and so it, it's it's so odd that 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 she would she would you know come out so vocally against that kind of thing when when in fact she started out celebrating differences in people, right? Yeah, but it's just it's, and hidden talents and that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's it's just it's it's an unfortunate uh, it's an unfortunate thing that she holds those beliefs and she is steadfast in defending them. Again, she defends them in the name of fem- feminism, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I guess people have their, you know, uh, yeah, as I say, these these things that they're willing to to risk, you know, their reputation upon, and uh, yeah, she's just she's never she never wanted to back away from that. But 
You know, again, I'll be really curious if they continue to move forward with this. I mean, so far for Warner Brothers, Harry Potter has been a goldmine. They made eight movies. They've made a fortune off those. They made three more uh, Fantastic Beast movies. Not quite as well done and not quite as profitable, but they're still, I'm sure, doing okay off those. Merchandise, theme parks, you know, toys. There's, you know... They're not dumb. They're not going to do it if there's no good reason to do it. But it's just disappointing that, uh, you know, that it's tied to this unfortunate uh, legacy now. Yeah, but I think people are, people are, are, um, I don't know if they're ignorant or or whatever, or they just, I I, I think they would go and consume this simply because it entertains the children and keeps them from driving them crazy kind of thing, you know, or they may have some, some personal feeling about it themselves, irrespective of the, the creators, you know personal yeah. foibles right so yeah. I, I don't think like twitter it's not going anywhere right harry potter the harry potter universe is not going anywhere well and i'm not surprised that they're doing a remake because it, it, it was only a matter it's been 20 years i mean they're just doing in this this video clip that's in this article they talk about the, it's the 20th anniversary of the original installment right yeah. so of the movies right so yep yeah it's uh like I say, it, you know money's gonna talk in this business and uh, unfortunately that means sometimes you have to you know, you're going to end up, you know, I mean, look at the people that have had careers over the years that we don't necessarily agree with uh, the way that they've comported themselves, some for the long run and some for the short run. But uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah. move away from that to something I am really excited about, which is uh, the new trailer for the uh, Into the Spider-Verse uh, sequel, um, Across the Spider-Verse, uh, really funky uh looking new trailer very fast paced very kind of exciting kind of uh action-packed trailer this time and uh we get to see a little bit more of sort of the sort of mass number of spider characters that they've pulled into this one and uh Mm -hmm. i mean it's so funny though like Every time I see one of these now, I get more excited, but I'm also just like, no, no, you already had my money. Like, you don't have to just tell me when it starts. Like, stop. You just stop yeah. kicking that dead horse. It's fine. Like, I'm I'm coming. I'm, I'm going to be there. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Um, It's yeah. exciting, but it's also like, especially because it was delayed. It was supposed to be at a Christmas time last year and, and it's been delayed till this year. And now I'm yeah. Every time they show me a trailer, I'm like, uh, OK, cool, cool. When is it? Oh, it's, it's not, for, not for another couple of months. huh? OK, cool, 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 cool. Now, why is why was it delayed? I mean, it's it. I mean, I hate to point out that it's animated. So, what was it like? Production delays, or was was COVID in the way of this, or or was it just, or was it because it was produced in the over the last couple of years? What was the delay about? I think they when they made the announcement last year. I think what they said was basically, you know, we want to make sure that this is as good as it could possibly be, and if we rush it out, we don't feel like it'll be quite there yet. So I guess it must have been production crunch. They just they were trying to rush it for a certain timeline. Could have also been the Top Gun Maverick kind of resurrecting the whole theater going experience thing that they were waiting for too, right? It's entirely possible. Maybe they thought, oh, if we if we kick this thing back six months, we'll have a better crack at having a better audience in there. I mean, it's coming out on June the second this year. That's you know theoretically a decent time of year to to start getting people into the theaters. So who knows? Who knows? But true. Yeah, I mean, well, summertime. I think, especially the last, the last one was, you know, won the Academy Award for Best Animated Picture. It was uh, pretty much universally beloved. So, I mean, they've got a lot of runway. So they, I think they can, uh, even if they trotted it at the early version, I think we all, would have all been pretty happy. But if they put that much more spit and polish on it, hopefully it's going to be something truly special. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, looks good. Uh, and the last thing I've got here, a little sad news, but uh, I thought it was worth giving this person their due. So Klaus Tober, uh, who was the designer who um, created the game Settlers of Catan, passed away this week uh, at the age of 70. Um, again, somebody who's not necessarily a household name, but profound effect on, on uh, nerd culture. Catan is, of course... Uh, ubiquitous with you know uh well a lot of uh sort of nerd culture it's a very popular game lots of people have played it it's had numerous expansions uh the article we've got here uh says it's sold 32 million units so far um so Mm. i mean this is one of the biggest uh you know well-traveled games around the world and uh yeah this this is uh you know obviously somebody who is definitely left an impact so, uh, yeah, so sad to hear about his passing, but, uh, yes, German game designer Klaus Teber. Mm. I've never played it. Have you played it? I have not. I know a lot of people who are way into it, uh, but it always, yeah. seemed, it always seemed too involved for me. Like, it just seems really, really, um, like, deep. And every time I've thought about playing, people are like, oh, I've played like 20 times. You should play. I'm like, I, that sounds terrible. I would like to play with people who, who <laughs> are, are also at my level, please. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's probably, it, I mean, it's, to me, it sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Like you have to get, you have to be involved. How about you? How many have you played it? Or I have only a, a few times. So, you know, trading for the resources and, and stuff like that is uh, a big part of the, the strategy. So that's where I would say. Like Jonathan, you probably want to play with people who are around the same level. Yeah. So it's you know the the meta game isn't something that you're getting hurt by. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll move on to the main part of the show. This week we're talking about something Star Trek related, and it's of course Star Trek Picard season three episode eight, Surrender. What could that be about? <laughs> Where we last left our crew, yeah, they were being held prisoner. What's your elevator pitch? Mine was uh, a riff off the title, which I'm sure is what they were going for. But uh, yeah, sometimes the best path to victory is through surrender. I put uh, Picard must give up the boy or watch the crew get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) The premise there. (laughs) Yeah, mine is never look a gift horse in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Referring to lore, of course. Yep. Never look a never look a gift cat in the mouth. Yeah. Or, or you know, what uh, or Tasha Yar. Yeah. That's right. right. Anyway, interesting that he keeps Tasha Yar in a little jar. Well, hmm. that's that's his little, uh, it's the, the, the thing that she gave her, her own eulogy uh, at her funeral, right? And oh, is it? Yeah, that's, oh, okay. that's the, little, yeah. The, the little thing he kept after she died. That was the, the mm-hmm. her farewell speech. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, in spot too. In yeah. spot, yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, that's there was a bunch of Easter eggs in there. Of course, tying back to TNG episodes, the you know the Tasha thing, the spot, of course, coming back, uh, and then Holmes's yeah. hat and pipe, of course. Uh, yeah, there was there's lots of little little tastes in there, um, and of, of course you hear you know Data flashing back, you know his memories and stuff like that. But yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I had that. Obviously, the episode had a lot. It sort of went in a bunch of different directions and focused on, you know, the Riker Troy story. It focused on the the Data and Lore story. It focused on the the Jack Crusher stuff. But um, but yeah, for me, I mean, obviously, I think we we're all kind of waiting for a Data centric episode, given that uh, he he was sort of the late to the game in this in this series. So it was nice to have that. Although. I don't know. Maybe, did you did you guys find the data versus lore battle inside the mind for control thing uh, 
Do you find it played out well for you? Um, well, I kind of, I kind of got the impression. My gut feeling was there was going to be some sort of amalgamation. That's kind of how I saw that playing out. And the fact that Laura was winning, I, I didn't feel threatened by that. I just, I, because I knew there was going to be, you know, a last minute, you know, div, di, something would happen last minute. Maybe it was the cat or something would would throw the the, the conversation over. Because, because I, I, you know, it starts out with Laura taking the things from from Data, and then it ends with Data giving him the things. And as soon as I realized that Data was giving them to him, I realized that Data had some sort of, you know, he had he had an ace up his sleeve kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have. I also didn't. I didn't take tension from it because uh, I, like Tim, sort of felt like, well, I'm pretty sure Data is going to be the victor at the end of this. So for me, I found it more interesting to look at it from a couple of different angles, from the sort of philosophical angle, right? About mm-hmm. what what makes um, you know the measure of a life, and from Data's perspective, it is uh, the memories, and he has a really beautiful. Uh, quote here that I had here, which is, uh, you know, you took the things that were me and in doing so you have become me. We are one now. We are me. Goodbye, brother. And that was a great quote. Yeah. That that one works out, uh, really well. And it, it, it seemed to me like the, again, the more philosophical angle and then the angle of comparing, um, you know, granted these are, these are copies of data and lore, right? Because yeah, they're artificial but i looked at it as like you know data ended up having a superior plan because he is not the data that lore um would remember um he's not the naive younger brother who could be easily taken advantage of this data has already been through that right he's he's had uh years of uh activation after lore has presumably been deactivated Right. So so Lore is is now in many ways sort of the, the younger brother, as if there was, you know, timey wiminess going on, but they're you know, they're they're artificial, so that, that doesn't even need to happen. You just keep one off and keep the other one on and you know, this one doesn't have as much experience as the other. So I didn't feel mm. tension from it. I just looked at it from the oh yeah, that you know, that's kind of what's happening here. One uh, the younger brother is now the more experienced brother and the philosophical angle around, you know, what what does it mean to, to live? You know, how do you measure the worthiness of life? And I thought it was very, really beautiful to have the, you know, the, the memories are what make you sort of angle. Yeah, I sort of saw him as a Tuvix. I was surprised that he didn't say insist on having a new name because now he's a combination <laughs> of, of the three of them, right? Because he did say that he's part before, part lore, right? Be and did, the fact that he, be, he actually be, makes be a new lore? State. Yeah, data mm-hmm. lore or something like that. Yeah, but he, he ends up with, um, or no, what was that, uh, that pirate? John, like real long name that they kept repeating every in, oh, in Mandalorian. Uh, Star Wars last week, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but you know, I kind of, I kind of expected him to sort of like because I mean, he did use contractions at the end, which is again, you know, when we were talking about, uh, we were trying to figure out who the Worf character was going to be, like when it be- and it turned out to be Worf, and there was no contractions in the, in the messaging because mm-hmm. basically Worf and Data were the only two that didn't use, you know, can they would say cannot and did not and they wouldn't they wouldn't say the contraction and you know because uh jordy points that out to him at the end there he says he has a couple right yeah no i didn't he says <laughs> <laughs> and the pew pews you've got you've got that as your best pew pew yeah i think the data versus lore stuff was probably better than 
even the sort of pew pew because there wasn't i mean a ton i guess there was some pew pew there was but it was it was kind of a slow burn a little bit at the beginning of the episode i found that the first uh 10 or 15 minutes of the episode a little bit dragged for me which is the first time i think i felt that in this series so far but just the whole you know you come up to the bridge i'm gonna execute somebody and it's just you know it, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't exactly star trek 3 it was it was like oh they're gonna shoot one of those randoms okay cool uh you yeah. know it, it yeah. didn't it oh, didn't look, she shot the shot the one i wasn't thinking she was gonna shoot oh how, how oh what a twist yeah. yeah no it just yeah it was it wasn't exactly the most dramatic tension there although again um yeah, Amanda Plummer was was divine once again as as uh, Vadek, who you know she's just oh man, she's as good as her dad in moments. She's just chewing up the scenery. <laughs> she was she was yeah. having a lot of fun playing this this part, and uh, yeah, kind of obviously sad to see her uh, her I'm guessing permanent demise in this one. She she seemed pretty 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 dead at the end of this. Shattered, shattered. Yeah, yeah. But um, I thought maybe she would she would fall into the the warp core on the other ship and then melt back into herself kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what well, I thought was coming when mm-hmm. instead of what happened. But yeah, but the the wharf the wharf rescue where he you know the the guy comes and he's about to shoot Riker and and he ends up with a batleth you know impaled through his chest and then it turns out that's wharf right. Yeah, and wharf just got. I mean, he's this whole series. He's just been incredibly dryly funny. Like the lines that yeah. he gets are so good, and I don't especially know especially how... when he meets Ta- or Deanna for the first time, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's just so like when they give him a hug and he says, "One's personal space is a right." Like it just you know it's yeah, so deadpan yeah. and so dry and so funny. Uh, and then you know again, I'm, I've got these in the uh, in the best quotes so that they said what, but the um, I have slaughtered countless enemies over the years, and I considered sending their heads to all of you, but I was advised that was passive aggressive. <laughs> it's just too good you know like it's they're they're clearly having a great time writing that character and uh and uh, michael dorn is is just he's just being so perfectly warf it's awesome but mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah along and, those with when the the rescue of uh of troy and riker where i uh, riker's little quips in between of some of what uh, Worf is saying of like, that's yeah. you know, inappropriate is, is funny because, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yes. Um, you know, after a, a, a stressful day and, and, you know, everybody in the house has gone to sleep, maybe a little self-evaluation is a good way to, <laughs> to de-stress. Yeah. yeah. I did like, uh, the, the humor that we got from, uh, data when he comes on the comm, that line, Greetings, USS Titan. This is your friendly positronic pissed-off security system. <laughs> back online. Back. Unwanted yeah. guest and monologuing protoplasm, I am announcing an immediate shift change. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a weird episode, because I think they were trying to ratchet up the tension and then break the tension with a little bit of humor as they sort of got into those moments of the rescue and then and then Data coming back and everything. Um, so, yeah, again, this uh, this probably was the least consistent episode of of the run so far but also still had some great long one that was a long episode yep can you find yeah it was it was uh and they continued to double down or triple down or what are we eight episodes in octuple down on this whole what is jack what's the mystery you know Mm -hmm. what's going on with him so again that's my big question out of this one is okay we're down to two episodes left. Next week, they've got to finally... What's behind door number three? Yeah, they've got to finally give us what's behind the door and what 
is going on with Jack Crusher. Uh, so here we go. Last guesses. Anyone? Anyone got a good guess on what's going on with with Jack Crusher? Man, how many Star Trek tropes have they gone through in this series? Does it feel like there should be uh, another twist? Does it feel like there should be another weird character that was unexpected? Something something else? Or do you think they just write it out? This this one we finally the possession got. Possession of Barkley. We, f- <laughs> <laughs> we finally got the gang together, right? We got... S- Pardon the pun. Seven of seven of nine, right? We got seven. We even of, had them at the at the boardroom table at the end. There. Well, that's it. We got we got the seven of the original nine characters. Obviously, no Tasha Yar. She's dead, and no Wesley. He's a space creature or whatever the hell they turned him into. Um, but you know, this is the big moment we kind of have been waiting for. This whole run is getting the whole band back together in one room. Although I did mm-hmm. find this episode also kind of lost me a little bit when like everybody was just like professing their love for one another. I've thought of you often. Oh, I thought of you. And in these moments, I think it just got a little overwrought for my taste, but it, you know, okay. I get what they're going for. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't help but think as they were building up to this last bit of tension, I'm like, are, are we going to get one more twist? Is there going to be like, you know, uh, the Romulan Tasha Yar's daughter show up? Are we going to get some weird random last twist in these last two episodes that, pays this off or is this like yeah i mean was it was was you know was there a picard they had a threesome with a changeling like what are what's what are we supposed to get off all of this yeah is it is another is it another um what was um oh deep space nine's captain cisco emissary cisco yeah yeah he was the emissary right or he was yes like is there going to be something like that again where it's uh you know uh, an alien possessing them i mean they that goes right back to the original series too right sure Sure. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, one the one line you missed in your quotes was, "My name is Seven of Nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also like she also gave the uh, "Get off my bridge," which was very yeah. uh, Harrison Ford. Uh, uh, it was an Air Force One. <laughs> Get off my plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the pew 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 I had related uh, to to that was um, Vadik getting the the Alien Queen and T one thousand combo. Right, getting sent into the cold, dark reaches of space, and then because you're frozen, getting you shattered bomb on the way at the door. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> solids, <laughs> solids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, two more episodes to go. We've we've got the oh, band back two together. Two more episodes. Oh, that was just one. Okay, okay. I think it's two more. It's ten. Ten episodes. Ten. Season, I, I think yeah. it's ten. But uh, yeah. Well, the red the red door reminds me of the red angel from season two of Discovery, right? Which we had figured out in what, like three episodes? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so I mean, what's behind the door? It's kind of like, yeah. I mean, it's hard to. It's interesting that that uh, Deanna is the one that's going through with him, though, right? That's kind of an interesting twist. And again, why if she's a beta Z, beta Z, why did she have to put her hands out? Is it just so that, as a signal that he's giving up, or or you know, like he's cooperating with her? Because she's never had to lay her hands on anybody else before to, to sort of feel what they're feeling, right? Well, he's an attractive man, Tim. I mean, come on. <laughs> and she is technically single, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, hard to say. Um, the and she's line... taken after her mother, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, really. <laughs> the uh, the line at the beginning when uh, Riker calls her Imzadi and she says, Imzadi, I should have taught you another word because he's just constantly using that one. That made me laugh, too, where it's like, you, you know... It's it's true. If if your if your partner only ever called you like honey 
And that was your, the one term of endearment for you. You were just, honey, for every single time, you'd be like, stop calling me that. Yeah. Well, it's like in that, that uh, the big, big, uh, was a prize, big prize door, big door prize uh, show that I'm watching. The, the, one of the main characters, he bought his, his wife said once that she likes puffins. So for years, he's been giving her stuff, puffins and puffin cookies and calls her puff. And, and, and the episode I just watched, she's like, you know, I, I said it once that I liked them, I, you know, and he starts, he gets a garbage bag and he starts picking up all the puffins around the house as they're having an <laughs> argument and throwing them all out. But that's the same sort of thing is that Zadi was sort of the, the label, the one beta Z word he learned that he's kind of capped, right? Mm-hmm. And it probably means like, um, honey bunny or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kept thinking Honey Bunny too while I'm watching Amanda Palmer because she like it's so hard to see. She's so good at it, but you you don't see the Honey Bunny in Vatic, right? Oh yeah, yeah, Amanda Palmer. Yeah, she's yeah. Although every once in a while her voice hits a certain inflection or something where it it just sort of clicks you in. You're like, oh yeah, that's right. This is Amanda Palmer again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, she's good. Yep. All right, two to go. All right, let's move on to the Mandalorian. Speaking of two to go, mm. one to go, two to go. Two to go. Two to go. Two to go. There you go. Everything's wrapping up two. 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 All right. Yeah. Mandalorian season three, episode six, chapter 22. That's not a confusing title. <laughs> Guns for hire. Yeah. So. Jaime, what's your pitch? Mine is in the style of Rick and Morty. And you'll see why it says, uh, while seeking to recruit Mandalorians to their cause, Bo-Katan and Mando have to pull a blade runner. Pull a Blade Runner. Okay. That's, what, that's what I'm yeah. with. No, I get it. I get it. I'm with you. Pull, pull I feel Star you. Wars, right. right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. That's good. Yeah, this this one to me really it felt like the most video gamey moment in this one. Like this is a side quest, right? This is what you do when you're like you want to get from point A to point B. You know that there's like something really important that's going to come up. Big cutscene, big big boss fight at the end of the, this part, but you have to do a side quest first, and you're like, oh, stupid side quest. Uh, so I had Din and Bo go on a wild side quest filled with, frankly, distracting guest stars. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the one with the cameos is a good alternative. Yeah, pitch, exactly. Right? The one with all the cameos. That's right. Oh, yeah. The three three huge cameos, right? Yeah. Um, it, the, the part in the middle reminded me of the, uh, the chase. I think it was in, um, uh, what was the third bad prequel? Um, Oh, Revenge of the Attack Sith? Attack of the Clones. No, yeah, I think it's the beginning yeah. of Attack of the Clones, right? Where they're trying to chase down the uh, the bounty hunter? Yeah, and they're running through that, and they're, they're knocking over all of it. Like, like, just the collateral damage in these shows. <laughs> they never go back and show all the, you know, the citizens who've been run over by Jedis, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, who's going to pay for that window? Exactly. And who still uses glass? Yeah, what show was it we were watching with it where that was a repercussion? Um, it was something we were watching where it was a sci- sci-fi show where... where they, they they've got called on the on the damage they they did. I'm trying to remember what the hell it was. Mm. Huh? It was one of these Disney ones. I can't remember. It'll come back to me in a minute. I like the uh, it's it's the scene in Firefly when they Mal starts the bar fight on uh, on you know the, the the one day he goes into the bar and he starts the fight and they throw him through the window, but the window's just a force field. He just comes flying through the force field and out into the front. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yep. But I, I, I had the uh, the droid chasing scene as my pew pew pew. I probably thought that was better than the. Uh, I liked a bit of the the big fight at the end between Bo Katan and and Axe Wolves, but 
it wasn't everything I would have liked to have seen when two Mandalorians go toe to toe. Like it was cool. No, she yeah. she actually got the little shield out, which she uses in the in the uh, Clone Wars and Rebels series. But uh, yeah, it oh, was yeah. wasn't the best fight I've ever seen. I'll be honest. No, yeah, yeah. I did I did like uh, Din Djarin's, um you know, algorithm solution where he starts kicking the droids. Oh, yeah. I had that as my <laughs> quote. Hey, I figured out what one was malfunctioning, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stop kicking the droids. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, I, I did like the lead into that one, too, where they're like, you need to go and, and hunt down these rogue battle droids. And they're like, what do you think? And he goes, you had me at battle droids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah, true. But I mean, the the um the whole concept of the of droids going into a bar and getting high off of oil yeah that just that's that was you know that's like dogs playing poker to me like it's (laughs) but again they're not they're not robots they're they're droids they're sentient in their way right they're not they're not just robots they look like robots as we would think of robots but you know when i'm programming a a battle droid that's going to go into into war and fight you know and his main thing is follow orders take directions and just go into a melee and just fire and not worry about dying why do i care if he gets high off of oil why would i program that into him or them no i mean it's a fair point i guess you know the idea is that they start out as a factory you know, base programming, just like the clones do on the Clone Wars, right? They come out all the same, but then over the course of time, they evolve and they change and they become unique. I mean, R2-D2 and C-3PO certainly are given tons of personality over the course of the different films. So, yeah, you know, why couldn't... I guess it comes down to, like, intellectual programming level. I mean, do, do they all speak basic? What's the what, what level of code? You guys are good at this. What kind of coding do you have to put in to get a battle droid? <laughs> do you have to upgrade that to get the drink package? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of dependency management there, that's for sure. Yeah. What did you think of the the cameos? So we we got uh Jack Black playing Captain Bombardier. Uh we got Lizzo playing uh the Duchess. And of course, we got yeah. uh, the the legendary Christopher Lloyd as uh, Commissioner Hellgate. Did you enjoy yeah. this, or was this was this a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's kind of like you know, when I was younger, I guess I guess I would have been. Oh, look, it's Lizzo. She's got you know, she gets to show her acting chops. I mean, was that the point? Was to show that she can act, and therefore is going to be in other movies and things like that. Jack Black, we know, is already established as a as a movie actor, right, and a comedian and and sometimes he's more, he's the career he's fallen into is as, as a musician, right? Um, but Tenacious D and all that. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and again, Lizzo is, she's kind of, it's kind of like what they used to do these, but Michael Jackson into shows like this or, you know, like, because they wanted a famous person to, to lend credibility and, and build audience. I mean, like Lizzo fans will come and watch this show, presumably because she's in it, you know? But then again, by the same token, she's also given the chance to, like Elvis being putting Elvis into movies. It's kind of what's the point? That's not the reason why they're famous, right? Um, so it's, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, Christopher Lloyd makes sense because he's, he's technically, you know, seasoned sci-fi actor. Um, Jack Black immediately put the ridiculousness in the show to me, like, you know, because I can't take him seriously, right? In any role he plays, right? So he's kind of like, it was kind of like the Wizard of Oz, kind of like goofy goofy angle to this whole thing right unnecessary for the, for the compared to the seriousness of of jindaran or bo katan's 
you know, missions, right? Yeah. Hi, man. How about you? Yeah, I think uh, if you're going to have all of those folks cast, you probably need to spread them out a bit. I think uh, the one I enjoyed the most was probably Christopher Lloyd as the, you know, seemingly like, I don't have time for this sort of administrator guy. Yeah. I think he fit that role pretty well. Um, and it's it's kind of nice to let the, the cameo sort of shine a little bit. Um, on it on its own and in the background whereas here it did feel a, a little much to have all three i think you can have all three in the in the show if you want just not the same episode yeah i think that's yeah. why i fell on it too I, I think if you had given me one of those cameos and the rest of them were just character actors i probably could have been like okay i mean we already had we've had some other famous faces in the show that you know bill burr has had a recurring part uh you know we've had yeah. famous faces who we recognize before although to his credit, Bill Burr was great in his episodes, both of them. True, yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think that elevates it. I can't say that I, I thought any of those three performances in this episode were particularly standouts. Strangely, I think Lizzo put on the best performance of the three of yeah, them. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I was going to say Lizzo was the best. Yeah, yeah. So, so a question I have for you, Jonathan, is, mm. as the expert story crafter, wordsmithy kind of guy, mm. did, did they, did you get the sense that Christopher Lloyd was the problem. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. No, I mean like, like the, who was the one that was making the droids be yeah. bad? Oh, and all that kind of oh, Cause he had, he yeah. had his hand on the button, right? The whole time. Yeah, no, that for sure. But also just, he had very much that air of like, you don't cast him just to be the guy who leads them to another thing. Like the, it's, that's right. the, that's the problem with stunt casting, right? If that had just been somebody you didn't know, you could have come back and been like, oh my God, we never would have suspected it was that guy. When you cast Christopher Lloyd, yeah. you're like, yeah, it's that guy. Like, it's just, it, that's that's the problem when Hollywood gets too clever for itself, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. But I mean, what I'm saying, though, is if it wasn't Christopher Lloyd, if it was another actor saying those lines in that story, was was it clear to you? Because it wasn't clear to me that he was the problem. Yeah, because like, I, I I don't I fall for the Hollywood trickery all the time, right? Yeah, I, I still think it would have been he would have been the top of the suspects list just because they make a point of saying his name. They make a point of saying, you know, like, again, it's it's the way you write these things and they do write them very deliberately. And there's a way you craft those words to to draw uh, viewers in to to, you know, get them invested so that when you get the twist, you're like, but he was a good guy. Why, why would he do this? You know? Uh, but yeah, it, 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 it did kind of, I mean, I think in this case, it's hard to say I was immediately taken out of the moment by the stunt casting. So, yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> this is the deepest cut Easter egg that I've ever found. And actually it's going to tie into Star Trek too. So hold on to your socks. So the stuff that the droids in the droid bar, which was a hilarious twist on the scene from A New Hope, right? Where they go into the bar. It was and literally the same bar, there. wasn't it? It was the same bar, right? Or same layout. I don't know. It was with, very similar for them, sure. With, yeah. Well, they're coming down the stairs. Hey, yeah, yeah. we don't serve their kind here yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so the substance that they're drinking, they, that they're eventually they find out is tainted with these nanobots is called Nepenthe. So Nepenthe yeah. is also the name of the planet that Riker and Troy live on in Star Trek. They mentioned that in this episode that we just watched today. <laughs> Pretty right. funny. Yeah, okay. Yep. But even even deeper cuts than that. So Nepenthe is mentioned in Homer's Odyssey, right? Uh, it is a possibly fictional... Um, it's the, the drug of forgetfulness in Homer's Odyssey. 
So the idea is that this is essentially booze for droids. Nepenthe is basically the, the drug of forgetfulness for these droids, right? So they want to forget their, their day of serving humans. They, yeah, <laughs> they, they take in this Nepenthe. I was like, okay, I like it when, <laughs> when writers and writers' rooms are clever, but that is like crazy deep cuts. We're talking about ancient Greek, uh, you know, Homer's Odyssey. It's, it's like, okay, sure, yeah. Let's let's talk about uh, 8th century writing. Sure, why not? <laughs> they made me take this class as a required course back in college, and by golly, and I'm back on using it. My money, yeah. <laughs> you got it. I, I had a bet with my I had a bet with my roommate that one day I could put <laughs> Nepenthe in a story. Right? Yeah, really. It's, honestly, it feels like there's a movie. It's not a great movie. But there's one line that always made me laugh. There's this movie with Steve Martin from the 80s called Leap of Faith. Where he plays mm-hmm. uh, a huckster um, evangelist, and they do this like traveling road show where they put it up and and as part of the road show, it's he every night they do a betting pool, things that he can't fit into his like sermon, his his, his you know evangelizing, and so one of them is like aluminum siding. Bet you can't say aluminum siding while you're doing your your speech tonight, and so he has to figure out how to work aluminum siding into that. And so when they do stuff like this, I feel like. Somebody bet somebody else twenty bucks they couldn't get the word Nepenthe into into a script and get it through and pass, but apparently they did. Yeah. So yeah. Well I wonder if the writers are the same writer wrote for both both series. Yeah, yeah, really. Really. <laughs> Doubling down, right? Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So essentially when you boil away all this this side quest stuff, this is basically uh, we established that the Mandalorians who had walked away that we met last season, uh, Axe Wolves, Cosca Reeves, and the rest of them that had the all the stolen Imperial ships and that were working with mm-hmm. Bo-Katan who had buggered off. Uh, basically, Bo-Katan wants, wants her stuff back. She wants her toys back. She goes, she challenges Axe Wolves. They have a fight. He, she beats him. And then he's like, but you're still not our leader because you don't have the Darksaber. And then something I think we talked about a couple episodes back when Din Djarin gets beaten by that weird creature on Mandalore. Yeah, he couldn't handle it. Yeah, yeah he loses the Darksaber. She picks it up and uses it and defeats the thing. And therefore, she's entitled to it. We, I think at the time, wondered if that was going to come back around. And sure enough, that was that was how they sort of wrote it out. So now she's back. She's the leader of the Mandalorian. She has the Darksaber, which is great because she's way better at it than he is. And mm-hmm. she's going to lead them in. I'm only, the only thing that made me wonder is, so we know the armorer is like appointing a Bo-Katan saying, you know, you go round them up. We're going to bring up for you. You need to re- yeah. reunite our people and all that kind of stuff. Is she going to be happy that her sort of uh, devotee, Din Djarin, has given up the Darksaber? The, the armorer lady? Yeah. Mm. No, I think she's setting up Bo-Katan to be the leader of the 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 true cho the the you know the return of the king kind of thing, right? Yeah, I, but I wasn't sure if it was like, hey, you bring me all the people, and then I'll I'll stick the knife in your back. But now all of a sudden, Din Djarin was like, nope, this is yours. You're the real leader. Here you go. I wonder if that's what the armorer had in mind, or if the armorer was like, actually, I'm going to put in Din Djarin as like my puppet leader down the road, and you well, just messed it up. She knows that. She knows that um, Bo-Katan saw the, the what's it called, the Mythosaur, oh, the Mythosaur right? yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, so she knows that, that you know, um, she she rescued Din Djarin, she's been in the water, you know, she was a leader from a leader clan, right? She was technically destined to be, you know, the, the sitting on the throne of her own house, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and she, her her ancestor had the dark dark saber, right? There's um yeah, I mean they make a point of saying that in this one several people call her princess, right? And like she she is. She's she's the the princess royalty, of Mandalore. Yeah. 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 I'm curious uh yeah, I'm curious to see how this plays out. We got two episodes left. Uh, you know, for my big question I had one that I've said you've heard me say for several weeks now. Can we please just get on with it? Like this season we've had we've now had six episodes you probably could have eliminated the fat from this and told everything they've told in like three episodes three really good episodes well i mean this is the thing like like i think we have all been spoiled by andor because it was so superior to anything we've seen so far Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. the obi-wan kenobi was was i mean the 17 year old kid in me loves the obi-wan kenobi thing but you know the the mature story reading having seen i mean a lot of people are disappointed with the whole uh obi-wan thing they thought it was really weak and really flat and again like the whole why did he have to fight um anakin skywalker in the middle of it and what was the point of that right yeah retconning the whole thing um you know they could have they could have done they so they they didn't do such a good job with that the, the mandalorian if we, if we didn't have if we hadn't had Andor. Would this would this have competed with the first season of uh, first two seasons of Mandalorian or even Book of Boba Fett, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of quality, you're right. This this uh, yeah, there are there are episodes of this that I'm kind of like, well, I'm watching this because I'm on a podcast and I have to I have to talk about it after I'm finished seeing it, kind of thing, you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I would have like if if independently, you know, again, I have this problem with Apple and and Star Wars. So I like everything they do irrespective of whether it's a road apple or not right <laughs> um no i mean there were plenty of road apples in, in apple's uh, equipment and production right but i mean the would i would i have continued otherwise right like would i have would i have just sort of let it let it slide i mean you know like there's a few shows like that that a few things like that like that i just haven't got i mean i didn't go out of my way to do Clone Wars. I didn't go out of my way to do, you know, Rebel until you told me that I needed this to sort of fill in the blanks, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I have watched, you know, Rebels and and um, and uh, Clone Wars up to the point that I have, even though I've still got like three or four episodes to finish on that, right? I think yeah. I have one season left to go on on Rebel, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, the big big stuff starts to happen in the later seasons. No, I know, yeah. I know there's big stuff coming. I know there's, I know that, I know, I know about some of the battles that I haven't seen yet, but I, but I know that they happened, right? So, yeah. so I just have to go through the motions of watching them. But you're right, the whole the ghost and you know uh, what's the name Sabine and yep. that Sabine is the one you're talking about coming back in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, into this show. Yeah, apparently. I mean, we yeah. they've already announced they've cast an actress to play Sabine. The question is, are we going to see her here first, or are we going to see her in the Ahsoka series mm. first? But they've yeah, the clearly been telegraphing too, that they're they're bringing the, the Rebels crew back together, the Ghost crew back together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, I just, uh, over the last couple of days, I rewatched the it was last... Seb, it was Seb in the, the Ghost crew? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's where Seb comes from. Okay, yeah. Yep. I was trying to, trying to put that together. Now I know it. Now I know who he is. Okay. And he's yep. based on uh, Ralph McQuarrie's original sketches for Chewbacca. Mm, right. That's what he thought Chewbacca should look like in his first concept right. sketches in like 1975. Yep. Um, yeah. No, I think uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch this stuff come together. Uh, I just wonder what we're going to get out of these last two episodes. You know, it, it feels like 
the this one was a lot of side mission and not as much direct mission but yet the direct mission has gotten the band back together they've got all these ships they've got the dark saber in in bo-katan's hands like it seems like they're moving all this forward and i think it could be yeah a really good payoff these last two episodes hopefully we end on a high note uh because it's been a bit of an inconsistent season not not their best i would say it was better this is a better episode than most of the episodes we've seen so far but was last week's also done by Bryce Dallas Howard as well? Mm, I can't recall if she I've, did last week. I remember then. seeing her name last week. That's why I'm trying to think. I think I'm just going to check IMDb right now. So I thought she had directed last week as well. I was going to say earlier, I, I sat down this week and I watched the last few episodes of Clone Wars, the ones that happen in parallel with the events of Revenge of the Sith. So where Ahsoka mm-hmm. and uh, Bo-Katan are fighting Maul on Mandalore while all the events are happening for Obi-Wan and Anakin that are happening inside the movie. And uh, A, man, those are good stories. So well done. And B, it definitely uh, yeah, sparked, reminded me again that, uh, yeah, that there's that you know long relationship between Ahsoka and Bo-Katan. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they bring these series together as we, as we are finally going to get our Ahsoka series later this year. Mm-hmm. By the way, last week was not directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. All right, well, let's move on to our watch list. No Bad Batch. No Bad Batch. We're done. No Bad We'll move on to the watch list. I'll go, up. I'll go first since I'm first on the list here. Um, nope. He's coming to Crave April 14th, which is next week. So looking forward to that one. That's kind of a twisty, weird one from Jordan Peele, which I don't think any of us have seen yet. Nope. 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 Nope, right. nope to nope. And... Um, I highly recommend that you guys stop everything you're doing and binge the Yellow Jackets. Hmm. Yeah, that's been on my to-do uh, list. I, although I, I, I gotta, I gotta say, I know Jonathan, it's not your cup of tea because it's, it's, it's horror and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's a bit, it's weird. I was trying to think of like how, how could I sort of um, explain it? It's a bit Gilligan's Island. <laughs> it's a bit, um, it, you know, the it story where it's the, the kids have an experience and then they have to relive it as adults kind of thing mm. um and it's a bit tw- it's a bit wiccan it's a bit um x files you know there's there's uh possessions and and you know it, it's funny because some people are like really into religion and some people are super skeptical and and they get together what it what it's about i mean without giving too much away it's it's a soccer team that's on their way to the finals and they're flying over the rockies the plane cr- and they're in a private plane. The plane crashes, and then they they have to live in they they have to survive while they're waiting to be rescued. However, they're crashed somewhere in British Columbia or you know the United States, and they live there for a year and a half. That's the Gilligan's Island connection. Like, why couldn't they just walk twenty feet and go to the next town? You know, that that's a, that part's a bit implausible. But there, but it's sort of the weird sort of things that happen, and and the choices. It's a bit Lord of the Flies too, in that sense. You know. Um, but really, really well acted. I mean, the, the young girls who play the, the, the teenage, you know, high school soccer players, it's a bit like Stranger Things in that sense. Um, but then the people playing them as adults are just amazing actors as well. And what's really cool, like Juliette Lewis plays one of the characters and there's a young lady who plays her as a young girl. And she even does stuff like drops the register of her voice so she sounds like the adult Juliet Lewis kind of thing, right? But but without but not noticeably, right? And the actresses look like the young actresses look like the older actresses and 
in terms of like it could that's just her as a younger person right so it's really really interesting and and um you know i usually i usually like if i want to binge something i'll you know sit down and watch a couple of episodes here and there but i literally did this in in two and a half days and i'm you know tomorrow next episode for season two comes out and i can't wait <laughs> yeah i i i Caught up on a few things the last few weeks, and I couldn't decide what I should do next between a few different things. Yellow Jackets was on the short list, and so is Succession because everybody's talking about that. Yeah. And I've not, never watched an episode. So how many how many seasons do we have to? Um, that's another one on my list too. Is that like like four seasons? Or I, something? I think the fourth season, fourth and final, just started. So yeah, okay, okay. But I think it's yeah. I think there's like you know thirty ish episodes already out there. Cool. All right. And then this last one here I've got, uh, it's called Star Wars Always. It's a five-minute remix of all of the Star Wars, all nine movies, by Topher Grace and another uh, director. And it takes all of the best parts of Star Star Wars and puts them together, and it's actually pretty entertaining. Hmm. Yeah. So, it's just, you know, it's just to sit, sit down and watch five minutes of, of like, all the, all the sort of highlights of, including Solo and Rogue One and... Yeah, it kind of just t- ties the whole thing together. It's, it, I mean, it's, an, I guess, a mega trailer, if you want to call it that, but it's, it's actually really, really well done. Oh, cool. Star Wars always. Over to you, John. I've got a few things this week. So uh, in addition to catching up and uh, re- re-watching the third season of Barry, because I am hmm. super excited that the fourth season of Barry is going to be up in a couple of weeks, uh, I made time to watch uh, a couple of things we talked about in our previous watch list. So 3,000 Years of Longing which is, um, it's a very unusual movie. <laughs> I mm-hmm. wasn't sure what to expect. And it's Idris Elba and it's, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, Tilda Swinton. And it's basically, she is a, a, a professor of storytelling from England. She goes to Istanbul and she uh goes to a tchotchke shop and she finds this old bottle and then of course in the old trope she opens the bottle and out pops a genie and the genie's Idris Elba and from there he starts telling her sort of his life story and then we get to see it sort of on the screen and it's a it's a really unusual uh but somehow strangely enjoying very visually well done story it's George Miller so this is the 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 director of Mad Max Fury Road, the original Mad Max movies. I mean, this is, you know, we're talking, you know, nerd icon here, uh, which is why I wanted to see it. And um, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's like a perfect movie or like, you know, uh, something that is an absolute must see, but if you're into sort of a little bit of, of sort of sci-fi fantasy weirdness, it's it's actually pretty decent watch. Idris Elba's quite good as the stor- storyteller, and Tilda Swinton is is actually I've never really thought of her. I've seen her in a lot of different things, and I really thought of her as sort of the um, romantic lead. But you know, he's telling mm. her this long love story, and you can see, and she's getting sort of swept up in this idea of love and stuff. And it's yeah, it's kind of sweet, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch if you're uh, if you're looking for something a little off the beaten path. Um, next up, I watched the Tetris movie on Apple TV plus. I don't know if either of you watched that last weekend. Yeah. I watched it last week as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was I, my pick last week. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I must admit, I don't think I've ever seen anything with Taron Edgerton in it because I have still not watched the Kingsman movies. Um, but he or, was or great. the uh, Elton John one. Nope. I haven't seen that either. Um, yeah. 
but he was great. He was very charming and very likable, and uh, he yep. he he reminded me of somewhere between a, a young Michael J. Fox and a young uh, Frank Whaley. Um, but he was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was great in it, and just you know, it's a, such a strange movie because it's sort of it's sort of jumping from place to place, and they've got these sort of cartoon graphics, and it's kind of it could fall into being really sort of kitschy, stupid if you if you put your foot on the wrong side of the line, but they never really do. It's actually quite quite well done and quite enjoyable. And just yeah, well, like I, like I said, the first ten minutes of the of the the movie is everything you know about Tetris, yeah, right? Yeah, Up for sure. Point. And then it's like then it's like just what and the whole nonsense about you know dealing with the Russians and the Soviets, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just mm-hmm. it's so funny because it's it's so tied to the you know the the fall of communism in the late eighties. It's tied into the the moving of the market of capitalism into Russia. Like it's it's. It sounds very trite on the top level, but as you get deeper into it, you realize that this is like, you know, it's just this perfect confluence of creativity and, uh, you know, political upheaval and just all these things. But, you know, and again, the KGB are like, you know, spying on them. And it's it's just, it's it's a really enjoyable watch. I highly recommend that one. That's, where did they good. find a Lada, working Lada? That's him. <laughs> right. I love when he drops the gear shift in. You're like, oh man, that feels like the floor is going to fall out of that thing. <laughs> um, and the last thing that I had on my list this week, I watched uh, Jurassic World Dominion has arrived here in Canada on Crave. Um, mm-hmm. It's it. I don't like the bad mouth things, but it's awful. It is holy didn't moly. We see this in, didn't we see this in, in... I thought we went and saw this in the summer. No, I, I didn't see this one. Um, I, I, have, I haven't seen any... Yeah, I haven't seen any of the new Jurassic uh, ones in the theater. I've seen them only ever at home. And um, I'm glad that this was just part of something that I already pay for, because holy moly, was it bad. It was... It was, yeah, it was rental for sure. Oh, it was so bad. Like it, it, it may as well have just been like Sam Neill leaning into the camera and going wink. Like it was just, it was so <laughs> cheesy. And like at one point, again, I'm not, I'm like, I'm spoiling anything dramatic here, but at one point, there's literally like an archway and the T-Rex stands in front of the archway. And again, may as well look at the camera and go, wink. Like, it's just, it's <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. I was, I was genuinely, I, I kind of, I enjoyed Jurassic World, the, the first reboot. I thought that was well done, mm-hmm. sort of homage to the original. Well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was pretty forgettable. Uh, and this one was just pismal. I... I, I honestly feel like, uh, you know, it's time for this to go extinct. Like, I'm done. I'm, I don't I don't ever want to see another Jurassic anything ever again. Please stop making these. This is, you know, maybe in 25 years we'll be ready for, like, Jurassic? What? Like, they'll do something else and it'll be that co- much cooler. But, oh, what a... They have worn this premise into the ground and, and I'm I'm out. I mean, it's just... It's, it's so bad. I can't get over how bad it was. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, you've put a last one in here. I've seen this before. I just wondered why you put this in. It felt uh, timely. It's a it's a pick so nice. We picked it twice or thrice, possibly. Now mm-hmm. I've certainly mm-hmm. mentioned a lot. It it actually works pretty well because it it crosses the the boundary between Spockcast and more than just code. So <laughs> it's the uh, it's the scene from Terminator Two where uh, the the title says John Connor's parents. It's actually the the foster parents. Uh, just if you want to nitpick there, 
um, John Connor's calling home and he's like, what's up with my, my foster parents? They seem a little nicer than they should be. And just like we've been talking about, uh, you know, rooting out changelings or on the technical side, how do you root out something like chat GPT or something AI that's, that's faking uh, and pretending to be something else? Um, they use a little trick of like, hey, I, I know this thing. I'm going to pretend and talk to you as if uh, you should know this thing. And if you do not know the thing, then obviously you are a fake. There so, you go. So what is the dog's name? Wolfie. <laughs> or that's, that's the fake name, is it? What's the, the fake name? Is yeah. Max is the real name. Yeah. Max, okay. Yeah. What's the matter with Wolfie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't remember if that was, it was a uh, a scene that was cut and then put into the, the after stuff or whatever. But yeah, you're right. Is right about right up there with the changelings and and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah we didn't mention that term Chat GPT. It just like this, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 summer of deceit, I guess, is or uh, it's not quite summer, but you get the point, right? Like, yeah, we didn't mention that deceit. that that great line from uh, Picard today that he uh, where. Picard and the gang drop in and Jordy points the phaser at them and they're trying to figure out who's who and if they're all changelings and and uh Jordy says, you know, six years ago you came to my birthday party and you you brought me a gift. What what was it? And Picard says it was a Chateau Picard Bordeaux, which you said was too dry, but clearly that was your problem because you've got a terrible palate. <laughs> I was like, yeah. that's definitely a nice burn in there for Picard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe behind the red door, we find that the Jack is actually uh, the Terminator is possessed by the Terminator too, the T two. Yeah. N- no, okay. Jack just keeps <laughs> he just needs to keep running up that hill is what I think is going to end up happening. <laughs> <laughs> now you're mixing metaphors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's coming together. I, I mean, I already mentioned that the 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 red door and the the tendrils vines felt a lot like yeah. uh, Vecna from. <laughs> Season four of Stranger Things. That's true. That is true. It's the upside down. Cool. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, people will get in touch with you wherever they find you. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. And how many people will get in touch with you wherever they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev the Hair. All right. My name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machine and the Mastodon machine and all the other things inside. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye, or we'll say see you in the future. That's what you say on the show. (laughs) Yeah. Weird. Anyway, see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
I said uh, see you in the future and on the end of more than just code yesterday. <laughs> so I'm all messed up. We're all we're all like you know crossing over multiple universes and stuff. What can we say? So tonight Toronto versus Boston on the TV there. Mm-hmm. The Leafs versus the Bruins. I just thought, you know, I'd watch that as a sort of prequel don't, to don't, the uh, don't watch that playoffs. That's, no, don't watch that. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that to yourself. In a shocking turn of events, the Leafs squandered a late lead and lost. What a turn! Today? Yep. Oh, I didn't watch the whole thing. I flipped, flipped by. They. It was a a real grinder game. They were. It was nothing, nothing. The Leafs scored in the second period to make it one nothing. They wrote it out till just past halfway of the third period. Boston found a way to score, and then uh, they went to overtime, and Boston scored again. So there you go. Have you watched Ted Lasso yet? I have not watched Ted Lasso this week. I finally, okay. I finally watched have... last week's episode like two days ago with my uh, collective horde here. So. Mm. I mean, did you watch Ted Lasso? I did. I didn't watch okay. it. Okay, yeah. that's all we can say. Yeah, did yes. you say you haven't seen any of the season? Well, no, no, I, I've seen everything up until this week. I, I'm, 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 oh, okay. I think the last thing I saw was the one where uh, Zava debuts and uh, and they all end up at the restaurant with uh, uh, yeah everybody. But yeah, I haven't watched this week's yet. I, I did raise it as a possibility today and was uh, was was turned down. So. I'll have to keep working on that. Luckily, tomorrow all of us are here, so maybe we'll be able to actually get ahead of that one. Did Foster watch Tetris? No, it's funny because she came downstairs the other day when I was watching it, and I said, "Oh, this is the Tetris movie that we were talking about," and she was just like, "Um, okay," and then like left. I was like, "Oh, I thought maybe you'd be more into this," but yeah. Hmm. I think it was cool that the the guy like the the guy played the ASCII version of it, which was really kind of cool. That was actually that was one of the coolest things was was when they they have that scene where they're the two of them are sitting there like nerding out on programming it. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of fun. I, I vaguely remember. Did we not have that on Commodore like in ASCII? Can't remember. Mm, I've seen the ASCII version before. I don't remember seeing it again. The first time I think I remember it was when the Game Boy came out. Like for most people, so yeah, yeah, that was the the game, the killer game. So, did have you watched the movie Tetris yet? I mean, I haven't. No, because they, cause they use square brackets. Like there's what I'm saying, ASCII. Like he actually, one of the versions he had of it, like in, like the, That's real the original level yeah. version of it. Yeah, yeah, was written written with square brackets instead of cubes, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, because he didn't yeah. have he didn't have the uh, the technology at that point. He, he basically programmed it in like 1985 or something. Yeah, 84 was when the when the, the Game Boy apparently. Came out as far I didn't know. No, that Game was Boy. The date, Game Boy but... didn't come till till uh, later. It was because it was the I think it was nine. Because at one point he does in the movie say 89? 1984. He did say something about 1984. I think that's when this whole Odyssey starts with uh, Tetris being created, right? Mm. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I don't... April twenty first, nineteen eighty nine, for the Game Boy is what uh, Google yeah. says here. So that would make sense because it. It, it was the the pack-in game for for the yep. Game Boy, but it was not a brand new game um, at that point. So timeline no, sounds about right. It's so funny the way they explore that. And again, I don't want to spoil anything for you, Jaime. But they explain basically how it uh, you know started out as this this programmer doing it in his spare time, and it just sort of exploded from there, uh, from behind the Iron Curtain out into the world. It's 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 a really interesting story of how this you know this little humble. You know, Coder kind of made this as something fun in his spare time, and all of a sudden it just sort of blew up to the point where, it, yeah, you're, you're right. It was the, like the game that came with the Game Boy that everyone had to have. 
And by the same token, though, because he was in a communist country and because he was he believed in communism, it didn't belong to him. Nope. It belonged to mm. everybody. Yep. Right. Which is in no way spoiling the movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was just saying that. Oh, look, free Tetris, free Tetris dot, dot org. Yeah. For free? Yeah. I mean, nowadays you can get Tetris on every device around. Yeah. You yeah. Know what it, we, uh... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, ju- I just looked up the uh, the Wikipedia article, and according to them, uh, the, the number one all-time game, of course, for Game Boy is Tetris, because, of course, it was packaged with it. 35 million units was that was what they ended up releasing just, just for the Game Boy alone. Wow. Yeah. That's not a bad number. Um, what I was going to bring up is that we, we didn't talk uh, during the main show about a, a, a tale of two... Um, Two movies and their and their Rotten Tomato scores. So the uh, absolutely shocking ninety percent and ninety four percent for Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. This is a Oscar front runner for pick something. Who knows? Right? Oh, yeah. Clearly, it got some things right. Um, if both the the audience and the critics agree. And on the other side, you have the Super Mario Brothers movie, which goes a little bit more traditional of what we would see with this sort of thing. So the critics hate it at 54% and the audience loves it at 96%. Huh. Yeah. Weird, right? Like at least that one I kind of expect, you know, I kind of expect, all right, you know, if it's not going to be an an utter disaster, it's probably going to be something that the fans like, but not the critics. Cause there was, there was no chance that the super Mario Bros. movie was going to be enjoyed by the critics and hated by the fans. Yeah. I still, uh, it's honestly, it's the, the Dungeons and Dragons is the one that just blows my hair back. Like it's just, I don't, I'm so surprised that that of all things seems to have caught this audience. It's the number one movie in North America the last couple of weeks. It's just, it just blows my brains out. I just, I can't believe it. I'm just, I'm genuinely shocked. Try and playing Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I don't get it. I don't get how they uh, you know maybe maybe it's great. I, I still don't. I'm curious. I'm more curious now than I was before to see it. But I'm still like whenever it shows up on a service I'm already paying for, I will totally watch that. I, I don't. It's not enough to entice me to a theater for for Dungeons and Dragons. But I must admit, I'm I'm very much more intrigued now that people are like, no, it's good. I'm like really, really, yeah, really that's weird, eh? I've heard the same thing. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew indeed? She swears foster when I need her. <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, she's super ah. talented with that stuff. Ah, game over. <laughs> she's got a, like a sixth sense about, about it. It's like crazy watching her play. Yeah. I mean, she's an incredible gamer with reflexes that I could only dream to have. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. But it's so funny because she plays rhythm games that go like 900 miles an hour and i can't even imagine having reflexes that fast and she she says that the some of the like high level competitors for the game like put her to shame i'm like i can't even like i can't even imagine having eye hand coordination that is as fast as hers let alone faster but you know we each have our gifts i suppose it's the training montage something like if you can dodge a wrench you can move a brick is that the The one that I thought was most fascinating, and I, I was when uh, she got the um, PlayStation VR, and PSVR has Tetris VR. So you're you're inside 
the game while you're moving the blocks as they're coming around and and it's like shifting around and yeah it's it's very very trippy but it's very cool it's a very cool one it's it's amazing the number of iterations that have gone beyond the t- the classic tetris now they've got all kinds of stuff it's pretty neat oh tim you'll like this one so uh are you familiar with maggie rogers the singer uh no i'm not sure okay so maggie rogers is a is a sort of folk pop singer uh very become very popular the past few years sherry and i saw her when she was still sort of on her way up a number of years ago is that uh, the woman that that um honey is that the woman that mark was talking about yesterday which one maggie rogers who's the, the singer he was talking about seeing and anyway carry yeah. on yeah I, she's uh the, the images that came up were a different person um oh it was somebody who had uh, uh like alopecia or something i think um Oh. oh, okay, okay. Okay. No, this is somebody else. This is, anyway, she's a young woman, uh, American singer, and she announced uh, her summer tour today. Yeah. And like the cure before her, she said, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do something about people's complaints about the high service fees and the things that are going on around ticket sales in, in around the world. So I've decided to do something a little different for the sales of my concerts next week. So the yeah. way that it's working is the first day that tickets are on sale, they're only on sale in person. So you have to go to a location and you have to line up to get the tickets first come wow. two per person, but you, in, you physically have to go. So in Toronto for her show, which is coming up in August at the, uh, the amphitheater, uh-huh. You have to go to Live Nation's building at, in Liberty Village and you have to line oh, up. Really? You have to line up in order to get your your tickets, and when you basically when you get there, you have to say like she, she said it'll be your choice when you get there. But you have to go in and be like, I want that one and that one, and you have to pay with like a card like right there on the spot, and you get your tickets. And I'm like, wow, it's like the 1980s again. This is so trippy. 1980s. I stood in line for like at Sam the Record Man. I stood in line with my friend on a Saturday morning for like four hours and then we didn't get tickets to see whom like it was just super tramp super tramp there you go yeah i mean i remember doing that right up into the 90s i remember having to enter a lottery to line up to go see the tragically hip on the day for night tour and i i think there was like maybe six or seven of us that were all there and it was basically whoever gets the highest number buys all the tickets for everybody it was a maximum of like eight or something and so we ended up basically buying eight because we could so uh but yeah i think i I ended up with the highest number so i was the one that had to actually go and get the the tickets in person but yeah it's it's just it's when she announced this i was like oh my god that that is a a true true throwback so yeah so uh, i guess it's in the united states because there's no good friday observed holiday they're doing that starting tomorrow and here because we have holidays it's uh it's tuesday so yeah i had to call in sick to go buy tickets to see pink floyd um when they came the first time they came to toronto yeah that was like and that was like you know first of all you had to buy the tickets plus you also lost a day's worth of pay right yeah exactly well and that's i mean if i wanted to go see her and 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 my wife does want to go to the show uh i theoretically if i want to have the best crack at tickets i'd have to take the morning off work and go do that on tuesday i am i'm not going to do that but uh Hopefully, by the time they actually go on sale on uh, on line, then there'll still be something half decent. Left, so what's but. what's the, after the first day you buy them in person, and then what? 
then they just go online and so then they're doing the sort of standard they're doing like uh, an artist pre-sale spotify pre-sale does she not think that scalpers are just not going to go buy them which these which is what they used to do yeah oh i know that's it's yeah of course they are yeah I remember how funny it was because you used to have to line up outside the Maple Leaf Gardens box office to get Leafs playoff tickets for the same way, right? Yes. And uh, I remember going yeah. there and the line would be filled with homeless people and like, you know, just like college students. And yeah, because the scalpers would basically be like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks if you just stand here and hold this spot and hold five spots. And then they would basically give them the cash here, buy me as many tickets as you can. And they that's how they'd end up with a pile of tickets back in the day when it was physical yeah. tickets. Yeah. So no, you're right. It's it's. I'm sure it, there's going to be some uh, people who who uh, you know pee in the punch bowl on this. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what tickets are left after they do this. Yeah. So that was Maggie Rogers. Molly Tuttle is who Mark was mentioning. Oh, Mark. Okay. Hmm. I have no idea who that is either. I didn't look at it. Look it up. Molly Tuttle. Molly Tuttle. Yeah. Sounds like somebody would have a Neo Gaiman um, novel. <laughs> Tuttle? Buttle? Tuttle? Yeah, I don't know who that is either. Got a Grammy. Oh my gosh, you got a Grammy. Nashville. Okay. decent. Said she must be pretty decent then. <laughs> I'm not knowing. All right, folks. We call it. Yep. Well, okay. uh, right. yeah. Re- rejoin for, uh, yes, the penultimate episodes for both series next week. We'll see how it goes. Yep. All right. Ciao. All right. Talk to you next week. Later. Right. Yeah, bye. Bye.